0: Today, we are week two into a series of messages that we're calling What's Your Story? So, what's your story? This week, we talked about how God is involved in our story from the beginning, from before we were born. We talked about He is our meaning and significance and purpose, and we have to get out of our own way and stop our self-salvation projects and allow Him to do it for us. We ended last week with a prayer that we put online, and a few of you used that prayer this week as a way of meditating so let's do that this morning let's do that right now pray with me if you would and i'm gonna uh, offer up this prayer for us and at certain moments in the prayer i'll pause and give you an opportunity uh, to do some work with god so let's pray eternal god you're the beginning and the end of all things you are awesome in power and glorious in beauty and goodness You've been involved with me since before I was born. This is both a sovereignty and a kindness that I cannot even imagine. You've been pursuing and protecting, wooing and nurturing, guiding and directing. And right now, I'm mindful of your long-standing work in my story. recognize today that you are the driving force in my life. I welcome that truth and I lean into the freedom and humility it produces in me. I pray for your purposes for me today. I pray that I would be for others. I pray that my agenda today would be your agenda for me. I submit myself right now. I give you my decisions today. I give you my time today. I give you my relationships today. I give you my body today. I give you my money. I give you my needs today. Lord God, you are the only source of real life and security and meaning. I confess that I've tried to put myself in your place through self-salvation projects, and today I relinquish all attempts to save myself. I acknowledge Jesus Christ, fully God, yet made fully man, the exact representation of God's being. Right now I repent, I change direction, I turn away from all that is not of you, and I leave everything else behind in order to follow Jesus Christ. I am mindful of his life, his character, and his sacrifice for me. Again today, with that before me. Uh, Gateway, this is Troy and Katie Gortney, and we wanted to find out a little bit about Troy and Katie Gortney's story this morning. So, uh, Troy and Katie, you guys grew up where?
1: I was born in California,
0: and then moved to Texas for about eight years,
1: and then Ohio for four years and then moved to Fredericksburg, Virginia at the start of high school, and I grew up in an LDS family, and uh, that's about it. I'm number four out of six children. Okay. Katie?
2: I'm a local. I grew up in, well, I was born in Fairfax, and I survived being born from a military hospital, so I survived Fort Belvoir. And then we (laughs) moved to Stafford, Virginia, and then my parents kept moving probably every so many years, 20 more miles south, so I ended up in South Stafford, which is typically Fredericksburg. And I am the youngest in a family of three, and all my siblings are seven years apart. So my brother is seven years older, and then my sister is 14 years older. Wow. Okay. And I grew up in a Protestant family, and we went to church on Sunday and prayed before our meal. So about it.
0: All right. Uh, how did you guys meet? Well, I had...
1: Gone to college for one semester, and I didn't have very good self-discipline there. Yeah. So I came home, <laughs> and it was really far away, and I, so I came home. Where did you go? I went for? to BYU for one semester. Okay. Um, and so then I came back, and I had worked at the movie theater in high school, so I went back to the movie theater, and I got a job as the chief projectionist. And there was another projectionist there. Her name was Katie.
0: Okay, so in the projection room... <laughs> it's dark up there, and quiet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you are projecting more than the movie, I I sense Troy. Yeah, she had a boyfriend, but not for long. <laughs> oh, okay. So that's an extremely useful skill these days, a, a movie projectionist. Right.
2: Our job is pretty much obsolete now. <laughs> Thirty-five millimeter films it's now the push of a button, right?
0: <laughs> okay, so from being a projectionist, you went to school and yeah, okay. I went to
1: Virginia Tech. Oh, actually, we, so we were dating, and I kind of tooled around for I'm a so while. I'm so surprised
0: he went to Virginia Tech.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't a good day yesterday. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I worked for a moving and storage company for a year and a half. I mean, I just, whatever. I, you know, tried to figure out what to do, and then um, I actually moved somebody who ha- had graduated from Virginia Tech, and that's kind of what, you know, talking to him, that's what made me want to go there.
2: Yeah, and we were doing the Northern Virginia Community College thing at the time and kind of feeling like we were wasting our time, so he wanted to do computer engineering, and I was thinking I would be a vet someday, so.
0: So, Troy, you wanted to do computer engineering? Yeah. Okay, you didn't end up in computer engineering?
1: No, yeah, I'm a, I'm a patent attorney now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so how did that happen? Well, so, we graduated in 2001, and I worked for about five years, I so did... Uh, two years of just programming. It was like 2001 was the worst time to graduate in the tech field. Jobs were scarce, but so then I worked there and then I went to general dynamics and I worked as an actual engineer for a
0: couple of years. You, I'm sorry. You worked as an actual engineer. Yeah. yeah. God, you t- take boring careers. So anyway, <laughs> and then I decided I wanted to go to law school
1: and what was your reaction?
2: Oh yeah. So I was, Colin, I had already had a baby at this time, and Colin was about six months, and my reaction was, why would you want to do that? It's a lot of reading, and it seems pretty boring. (laughs) (laughs) And And we just had a baby. (laughs) So, Troy, he just wanted to do it. So, we kind of picked up and moved. We had just finished flipping a house. I was in real estate at the time, and we flipped a house, and we blindly went to William & Mary.
0: So you're a patent attorney today, Troy, and you today, Katie?
2: I am a (laughs) jack-of-all-trades. I homeschool three children. I have Colin, Violet, and Blake. I'm not really sure how we happened into homeschooling, but we do, and we see the blessings from it. And I also teach music, and I'm currently picking up multiple instruments to teach. I used to do piano since I was five, so now I'm picking up guitar, and I'll probably start another instrument next year.
0: We're, as I said, in our second week in a series of messages we're calling What's Your Story. So thank you, Troy and Katie. Uh, They're going to help me this morning tee off our uh, passage today. We're going through a series of stories from the Old and New Testament, finding out what we can learn about ourselves, about God, and about his connection to us through these stories. And today is uh, one of the most fascinating stories in the New Testament. So if HBO... I did a mini series on the life of Jesus. Obviously, IMDB would give it a seven five because it's Jesus, so they couldn't give lower than that. But it's Jesus, so they couldn't give higher than that. But the episode that covered this story, I'm convinced, would be a ten. This is an incredible and compelling story about a blind guy that Jesus heals. We don't have his name, but later this morning I'm going to refer to another story about another blind guy in Mark chapter ten that actually many scholars believe may have been the same guy. I think the details of the stories are are too different to have been the same guy, but there are scholars who believe that Mark has telescoped the story and told us the same story without a lot of the detail. So you're going to hear one of the most compelling stories in the entire New Testament this morning. And Katie and Troy are going to help me read this. We're going to typecast a little this morning. Troy is going to play the part of Jesus, which is how Katie has always thought of him. Katie will be playing all the interludes and the narrative part, and I'll be appropriately playing the part of the Pharisees. So this is found in John chapter 9. If you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 9 Bible app. Find John 9 in your Bible app. Incredible story about Jesus' healing of a blind guy. So, Katie, you begin for us.
2: As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind.
0: Okay, hold on, Troy. Fascinating question, isn't it? It's incredible how often we, what is it, overread other people's stories? We supplement other people's stories with our own and from our own misunderstandings. I'm convinced that many of our conflicts and most of our prejudices or because we supply the details of other people's stories from our own misunderstandings. In this case, this is a fascinating misunderstanding because really what the onlookers have done is, and the disciples, what they've done here is they've misunderstood God. So why is this man blind? It must be that he's done something wrong. And Jesus tells us,
1: Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him.
2: Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. And he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, The man they call Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. I don't know, he said.
0: They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight.
2: He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see.
0: Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, well, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man
2: replied, He is a prophet.
0: They still did not believe that he had been blind and received a sight until they sent for the man's parents. Oh, look, is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see?
2: We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him.
0: Okay, I spent this weekend with my family and my children and boys. If you're ever tempted to complain about me, I have never thrown you under the bus like this. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner.
2: He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see.
0: Many of you know the story of a famous old hymn. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me, I once was lost, but now I'm found. He gets that line from this story. That was written by John Newton, who spent the first part of his career, he spent Troy's computer engineering part of his career, working on a slave ship, eventually captaining a slave ship. He got to know an evangelist named George Whitfield, and his life exploded. He recognized that his entire life had been one self-salvation project after another, and eventually he gave his life over to the only effective source of connection and meaning and salvation. He gave his life over to Jesus Christ, And as a result of that, the trajectory of his life completely changed. He ended up writing series of hymns, including probably the most famous hymn written in the English language, Amazing Grace. And one of its most famous lines is taken from our story this morning. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes?
2: He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too?
0: Now this can't have felt good to them. Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from.
2: The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from. Yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do
0: nothing. To this they replied, Your mama wears army boots and you are ugly and fat and stupid and you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out.
1: Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man?
2: Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him.
1: Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you.
2: Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him.
1: Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some
0: Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked,
1: What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, narrator.
0: Thank you, Troy and Katie. (laughs) Let's pray before we really kick it off. Well, thanks for speaking already, and thanks for how amazing you are, what you do. Thanks for taking people who are emotionally blind and spiritually blind and physically blind and giving us sight, being our vision. You're not only how we see, but what we see. Keep yourself before us. And we want to give you permission right now to speak. In the next few moments, speak. Each one of us, Lord, is toting something different this morning, so we surrender that to you. We want to hear you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to give you two observations that fall out of this story that I don't think we can miss that relate to our story. I think that help inform our story. The first observation, so pause for dramatic effect. Let's bold it, italicize it, and underline it. If you miss everything else in our entire series of What's Your Story messages, don't miss this. In fact, this is probably the reason why our small groups director, Terry Eagle, came a couple of months ago and said, you know, I believe God wants this next season of our small groups. I, b- I believe the theme of it should be, what's your story? So my response was, what in the world does that mean? So Terry began to populate that a little bit for me. And the, the most fascinating part was when I said, Terry, why what's your story? Why not share your story? This was awesome. Terry said, You know, I want to train us. I want it to be a dialogue. I want us talking with one another. I want us talking with God. I want us talking with outsiders. You know, kind of our key relationships. I want us entering in. The level of really getting to know one another. And that can't happen without dialogue. You know, sometimes when we come and just share our story, it's kind of an imposition. We're not answering questions. We're often giving people what they don't even want to hear. I'd rather us learn. I'd rather us be trained to to have a dialogue. As Terry and I began to talk about that more and explore that, we realized, check this out, according to one survey, Jesus asked more than 300 questions. Some of those questions obviously were rhetorical. Some of those questions were really veiled accusations. But many of those questions grew out of Jesus' spiritual curiosity about the person that he was talking with and to. So, point number one, don't miss it. The establishment and maintenance of key relationships depends on genuine, caring, spiritual curiosity. The establishment and maintenance of key relationships depends on genuine, caring, spiritual curiosity. There are a variety of questions in this passage, aren't there? There are questions for information like verse 26. They say... What did he do? How in the world did he open your eyes? Then there are questions that are really accusations, like the disciples' question in verse 2. Hey, Jesus, uh, Rabbi, what happened here? I mean, this guy's blind, you know, just as an example. Let's take this guy. Did he sin, or was it his parents? It's a veiled accusation. Or again, in verse 19, the Pharisees offer their own accusation. Is this your son? Is, Is this the one that was born blind? How is it he can now see? Jesus, Jesus at the end of our story, when he encounters the man who had been blind, who's now been healed again, Jesus' first question to him is, hey, do you believe in the Son of Man? Check that out. The Son of Man really is an Old Testament phrase. This guy, no doubt, even just from his time of hanging out at the temple, and he would have certainly been at the temple many times, because it would have been the best place in Jerusalem or in the surrounding area, for him to have had the maximum exposure to people when they're feeling generous. So he would have been standing there, often on a daily basis, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. In his home, growing up, no doubt he would have heard hints, but certainly just hanging around the temple, he would have been informed about the Son of Man, this Old Testament image. And here's the fascinating thing. Remember this as you're reading the biographies of Jesus. The Son of Man, because of its contexts in the Old Testament, was often a term that suggested divinity. In fact, most most scholars will tell us the term Son of Man suggested more clearly divinity than the term Son of God did. So Jesus looks at the blind man and He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He wants to know what the blind man believes. Hey, what do you think? Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in those Old Testament stories? Jesus wants to know His story. I said earlier we're going to look at another incident of a blind guy, and I want to go there now. It's found in Mark 10. So that's a little earlier in the New Testament. If you've got a Bible, again, try to flip over to Mark 10. If you don't, I'll read it. It's not going to be on the screen. But Mark gives us... This blind guy's name. As I said, there are some scholars that believe this is the same story, only Mark has cut out lots of detail and telescoped it down. I don't think that's the case, but it very well could be. This is the story of the blind guy named Bartimaeus. And I want you to hear Jesus' interaction with him. So then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that, that is, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, no doubt, Bartimaeus has been hanging out in an area where he hears travelers and he gets the scuttlebutt. And he's heard of Jesus. In fact, probably he's had someone come stand by, sit by Bartimaeus and, and tell him about this. Maybe he's overheard a conversation about this miraculous guy that, that I, I heard. You know, I, I was traveling across the countryside and I saw this large guy gathering of people on a hillside and they told me that this amazing rabbi was going to speak so I I went over parked for a little while and I heard this guy I've never heard anybody speak like that never heard uh, that kind of authority before wow what was his name his name was Rabbi Jesus so when Bartimaeus hears that Rabbi Jesus is coming to town he can't help himself because Bartimaeus is filled with a holy desperation Jesus son of David have mercy on me. And they rebuked him. And they told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more. So Jesus stopped and he called him and said, bring him over to me. So they called to the blind man. Look, cheer up. You know, on your feet, because the rabbi wants to see you, he's, he's calling for you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet, and he, he came to Jesus. Now, think about the history of Bartimaeus' interactions with people. Uh, he's had many interactions with people. In fact, his day is, he, you know, Bartimaeus is not out plowing the field. Bartimaeus is not carrying crops from one area to the other. Bartimaeus is not even cooking for himself. Bartimaeus' entire day is spent trying to interact with people. And what Bartimaeus gets is avoidance, and Bartimaeus gets ridicule and scorn. You know, there's an occasional kick, don't you imagine? Once in a while, someone will spit at him, knock his cup over. Bartimaeus gets ignored. And Bartimaeus also gets compassion, often probably condescending compassion. You know what it feels like when you pass the occasional homeless person down in D.C. But Rabbi Jesus calls Bartimaeus over to him, and he asks him a question. So, Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? What? Jesus is asking Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus, what's your story? What's up? What can I do? Now, we know what Bartimaeus' answer should be, right? Bartimaeus' answer should be what his answer is all day long. Rabbi, I want food. Can you give me some money? Rabbi, I have no means of taking care of myself. So, some bread and some money would be awesome. But Bartimaeus says, Rabbi, I want to see. Well, go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. I mean, think about the faith that it took for Bartimaeus to say, I want to see. And think about the caring and the compassion that Jesus offers by looking at Bartimaeus and saying, Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? I don't think we can be effective husbands or wives. I don't think we can be effective parents. We can't be effective coaches or mentors or managers. We can't be effective employees. We can't be effective neighbors without genuine, caring, spiritual curiosity. It's about asking Caring questions and listening with full attention. Listening for what they want. Listening for what they believe. Hey, do you believe in the Son of Man? What can I do for you? Listening for how God might be involved in their story. This is also, by the way, the pathway to healthy inner work. Learning to ask ourselves spiritually curious questions. That's why I said we can't establish or maintain healthy key relationships without spiritual curiosity. We've got to learn to ask ourselves regularly, why do I always get angry when that happens? Why is it that I respond to discouragement with that particular habit? Why is it that we always enter into conflict around this issue, or about this time of day, or this time of year, or whenever my mother comes to visit? We can't be effective husbands, wives, parents, coaches, mentors, teachers, managers, employees, neighbors without genuine, caring, spiritual curiosity because the establishment and maintenance of key relationships depends on genuine, caring, spiritual curiosity. Point number two, spiritual curiosity doesn't require expertise. Did you notice that in the blind guy story? In fact, expertise is often unnecessary and sometimes unhelpful in exercising spiritual curiosity. In John 9... The blind guy is asked to come in and give his story, to give an account before the Pharisees. He doesn't even know Jesus' name. He doesn't know any facts about him. This past summer, if you were part of Gateway, you'll remember that we worked our way through the book of Acts. And we were told repeatedly that God's intention for us as a group of people and each of us as individuals was to be witnesses. But he didn't ask us to be experts. One thing that this means is we can't use our lack of expertise as an excuse not to share our story with others. I thought about interviewing Rob this morning. Rob Showers is an attorney who has done lots of court work over the years. And I can tell you, because I don't need to ask Rob, I've seen enough television, I can tell you that often experts are the absolute worst testimonies. They're the absolute worst witnesses. Well, yes, the Bullet entered the cross hypotenuse of the clavicle and it passed through. And the, the, the jury is bored to tears. But then the, the young girl gets up, right? She's 14 and she begins to cry and she says, I don't know. He, he walked into the room and, and I heard a gunshot and then he came running out guilty. Because we don't need experts. In fact, sometimes they're unhelpful. Now, this is not an excuse not to learn more about God. But remember, we learn more so that we can fall more in love, not so that we can give more expert testimony. Because I can promise you that your neighbors and your friends who are far from God, they're not looking for an expert. They're looking for someone who's experienced. Someone who once was blind, and now they can see. So the, the blind guy gives spectacular and clear and compelling testimony because he goes before the Pharisees and he says, basically, I don't know. I was blind and now I see and I'm really glad about it. Okay, let's end this morning with giving us an assignment. So I'm going to give you an assignment for this week, and I'm going to try to find ways to follow up on it this week, if we can. And I also want you to share the results of this assignment, if you have any. You ready? Okay, the assignment this week, let's make it our goal to have five noteworthy, spiritually curious conversations this week. Let's make it our goal to have five noteworthy, spiritually curious conversations during this week. Some of you are in the habit of this, you'll have many more than that. For others of us, because you're, you're busier or like me, you don't really like people, this will be difficult for you. But make it your goal to have five spiritually curious conversations this week. And a spiritually curious conversation, remember we said there are a number of different kinds of questions. Diane and I were actually talking about this recently. There are questions in which you're looking for information because You want to be connected, and you want to feel important, or you want to feel needed, or you want to feel... It's about you, and you're looking for information to supply you and to fill up what's lacking in you. But spiritually curious conversations are conversations that offer life. How are you doing, Jesse? How are you doing, John? and I want to know how you're doing so I can affirm you. This is about you. This is not about me and filling up something in me. So let's make it our goal this week to have five noteworthy, spiritually curious conversations like, Shri, where are you from in India? Wow, that's fascinating. I I bet when you've gone there recently, I I bet it's really different now than it was when you grew up. Wow, Shri, what was the spiritual climate like? in India when you grew up there. And now we're in a place where God is is available. We just follow him by being spiritually curious. Uh, Julie, how's it going? You know, where'd you grow up? Because I recognize an accent. Ha, 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 yes, you do have an accent. How'd you end up in northern Virginia? Really, well, what led to that decision? In other words, what do you really want, Julie? And by the way, what do you believe? Let's make it our goal this week to have five noteworthy, spiritually curious conversations. And I have already asked the prayer team to be praying for us and praying with me every day this week for five minutes at five o'clock for all of us to be able to have five noteworthy, spiritually curious conversations this week. So every day this week at 5 o'clock, the prayer team will be praying for us for five minutes that we'll be able to have five spiritually curious conversations this week. Are you in? And then at the end of the week or sometime when you do some checkup with your small group, I want you to tell the results of it. And let's be honest. By the way, FYI, I was able to have one spiritually curious conversation with myself. That counts. That counts. If you really have a spiritually curious conversation with yourself, that counts. It's a way of cheating. Don't do all five with yourself, but you can fill in one with yourself. I was able to have a spiritually curious conversation with myself, but because I don't like people very much, I was unable to have the other four, at which point I hope your small group will say, wow, you're not a very good person, you're a little like Ed, we'll pray for you. But share the results of your spiritually curious conversations with one another. You know, look, when we show up and get 24 inches away from one another and ask one another real questions, God will do His thing. He doesn't need us to be experts. He needs us to be spiritually curious. He needs us to want to know one another's stories and our own. I think the person in my life, other than my wife, who's been as good at this as anyone I've ever known, is my mother-in-law who passed away a number of years ago. Some of you who've been around Gateway for a while, you will remember my mother-in-law. And if you remember my mother-in-law, you liked her. You may have loved her. She just had a way of being spiritually curious about people around her that was incredibly compelling. It was compelling. Did you hear that? People wanted to be around my mother-in-law. We would go to Chinese restaurants in Richmond. And the waitstaff in the Chinese restaurant in Richmond had been loved on by my mother-in-law. It was unbelievably obnoxious. We couldn't even get to our seat without people hugging her and asking her how she was doing in Chinese. She had no idea what they were saying. I remember one incident in particular with my, and there were many, but I remember one incident in particular with my mother-in-law. We were at Jordan's graduation, and I don't know if any of you all remember this, but it was a horrible day. And Jordan had the privilege of going to UVA, and they do the graduation out on the lawn at UVA, or they, they did at the time. It, was, it had been raining for, you know, four and a half years, and it ruined a few pair of shoes just being out there. It was, it was really horrible. And we were four and a half miles from the stage. You couldn't see anything, and I was just annoyed and irritated. And we sit down, and the next thing I know, my mother-in-law is doing exactly what she always does. And she turned to somebody around us and just began to ask spiritually, Oh, well, t- how, so cute. That's all. We'll t- how did you get yeah, that? And I, honestly, I'm thinking, what are you doing? <laughs> Stop. Leave them alone. <laughs> We're here for a graduation. The next thing I know, I hear the, the people behind us say something, and my mother-in-law says, I'm so sorry. Tell me about that. And they began to share the story of loss. And I realized, you know what? This might be the most important thing going on today. Right? I mean, I'm really proud of Jordan. And I'm surprised and proud of Jordan. <laughs> that, <laughs> that we were there for his graduation. You know, awesome event. Yet, way to go, Jordan. They couldn't hear us, but way to go. But perhaps the most important thing that happened all day long was my mother-in-law turning to the people behind her and expressing profound spiritual curiosity and having them say, "I, you know, I'm so sorry. And having that touch their hearts. Let's pray. God, we don't see unless you open our eyes. Unless you become our vision, we don't see. And we know from experience, unless we keep Jesus in front of us, even what we see gets cloudy and fuzzy and weird. But when we do see God, when you do open our eyes, we acknowledge this morning that it is our responsibility to see. When you open our eyes, we must see. We must see ourselves in the light of what you're doing in our lives, then we must see others. When you open our eyes, God, it becomes our responsibility to pursue ourselves and others with genuine, caring, spiritual curiosity. So this morning, Father, I ask that you would forgive us for lazy assumptions. We think, Lord, I don't know. You're conservative, so you must hate gays. We've got a million assumptions. You're liberal, so you must be a fruitcake. Father, forgive us. And we cut off our own story and the stories of others. And we create conflict and we create prejudice and we miss what you're doing. Because we're not spiritually curious. So we acknowledge before you this morning that our key relationships, our relationship with you, our relationship with one another, our relationship with those that are far from God, our relationship with ourselves, Lord, those relationships depend on us being spiritually curious and wondering and affirming. I want to ask that you'll do a work in us this week that we'll be able to have spiritually curious conversations, that you'll let us enter in, that you'll let us get beyond our reticence or our busyness, our agenda, whatever stands in our way, our prejudices, that you'll make us spiritually curious. Again, Jesus, thank you for being involved with us, for opening our eyes, for knowing us and shaping us and calling us from before we were born. For being in and with and under and around our story. We give that to you this morning. Here's what we want to say, Lord. This is our story this is our song praising our savior all the day long
3: and Jesus is my